0: Welcome to the Venture Sprout podcast. I'm Crystal Wallace, Vice President of Member Back Ventures. And today I have with me Ezra Melman, Managing Partner at Health Enterprise Partners. Ezra, it's good to have you with us today. Let's get started with you telling our audience a little more about Health Enterprise Partners.
1: Well, thank you, Crystal. And thank you, Vizient, for having me here. I'm delighted to be part of this conversation. My name is Ezra Melman, and I'm a managing partner at Health Enterprise Partners. We are a healthcare IT and services-focused growth equity firm based in New York City. And like Vizient, one of our distinguishing characteristics is that the majorities of our backers or our members are health systems, and we also have healthcare insurance companies. And in concert with our strategic limited partners, we try to identify investments that are responsive to their up-at-night issues. The key problems and pain points affecting our LP base tend to form our sectors of focus. It's very much through this interaction that we as a firm have prioritized health equity and social determinants of health as a key area of focus for us.
0: Health equity is certainly a hot topic among C-suite leaders at the moment, so let's dive a little further into this conversation, Ezra, and if you will, talk about some of the headwinds and the tailwinds that you're seeing.
1: Sure. I think that given how much discussion there's been and buzz around health equity, any discussion on headwinds and tailwinds should begin by appropriately bounding this topic with a definition. And so when we think about health equity, we think that it's the idea that everyone has a fair and just opportunity to be healthy and to have access to care. That means reducing and eliminating disparities in health and the determinants that can negatively affect excluded or marginalized groups. And as we sort of unpack that a step further and think about the actual business models, which I know we're gonna get into, In this health equity sector, I think that we start looking at things like transportation and food insecurity, housing, access to technology, English proficiency, education, and a number of other determinants. So in terms of the tailwinds that are propelling the growth of the health equity sector and bubbling that up higher on the prioritization queue of health system leaders, I think that there is a growing recognition that non-culturally competent care is inferior care, and that's a recognition that has been quantified and underpinned by a lot of data. There's a higher overlap between, for example, the limited English proficient population and those suffering from more acute or chronic health conditions. There is a general understanding that social conditions have a greater determination or an influence in determining health outcomes than things like genetic makeup or family history. And that has been a big part of the interest in health equity.
0: I do think we're moving in the right direction, and there's definitely a number of promising drivers in the health equity investment space that give us a lot to look forward to. But if we look at the flip side, Ezra, what challenges or headwinds do you foresee?
1: In terms of the headwinds that are affecting advances in health equity and in the general growth of the social determinants of health arena, there is the still omnipresent fee-for-service Model and the fee-for-service healthcare model, which you know represents the majority of healthcare spend and the majority of hospital-based payments, doesn't create tremendous incentives for meaningful investment in the kind of cross-departmental collaborative initiatives that will really make an impact in SDOH and in responding to health disparities. In general, a second headwind is the difficulty of tracking patient data for a lot of these at-risk populations EMRs are rather siloed. And while there's been a general recognition of the need to import SDOH data into EMRs, that's been a little bit slower in general. We hope that there are advances that close that gap. There are a number of interesting companies, including some in our portfolio, that are really, really focused on that. But the generation of high-quality SDOH data is a limiting factor. And then even if data is produced, the ability to to longitudinally track that data across different care settings. So from a hospital-based setting to a post-acute setting is generally hampered by interoperability-related considerations. And so that's a key category of limitation. As a related point, and, and probably a third and final headwind, this idea of identifying the dollars that are spent on SDOH programs and correlating those with an ROI is something that's very challenging for a lot of health systems to do. Who are the systems that have applied sort of uniquely rigorous approaches to the dollars deployed on health equity, spend health equity initiatives, transportation, food security other sort of non-clinical social programs, and then how is the loop closed in terms of calculating the return, whatever terms that's defined, whether that's improved outcomes, community benefit, reduction of avoidable emergency room visits, that has been an area where there are fewer data points than might sustain a large number of sustainable business models.
0: These are certainly some challenging headwinds, but I'm hopeful about some of the solutions that we're seeing come to market. So can you talk a little bit about the kind of solution companies that you're seeing in this space?
1: It's a great question. And we see a number of categories emerging in terms of SDOH and health equity companies. So there are companies that seem to be uniquely focused on leveraging SDOH data for predictive analytics and risk adjustment. So businesses that are emerging as SDOH data companies that could plug into existing EHRs or existing practice management platforms to help enhance the care that is given to vulnerable patient populations. There are SDOH software platforms emerging that are presenting sort of directory-based platforms, products that will help orchestrate the non-clinical resources around a particular patient population to enable SDOH drivers to be handled more successfully. There are a number of socially integrated primary care models a large crop of sort of next generation SDOH forward primary care companies that are employing care team models, including things like health coaches or community coordinators who can remediate non-clinical barriers to health, providing community programming like fitness classes, computer lessons that can help respond to the needs of certain at-risk populations. There are a number of really focused service providers that are focused around responding to a key set of common social vulnerabilities that affect patient populations that would otherwise have an impact on the health of those patient populations. So we're seeing transportation companies emerge focused on shuttling patients who might not have access to a stable form of transportation to and from the doctor, meal delivery services, video-based language services in a highly focused way catering to a particular social determinant of health. And then we're seeing what we call technology-enabled SDOH connectors tailored chronic disease prevention programs that account for patient lifestyle preferences and potential barriers to care, connecting patients with resources for housing security, transportation, et cetera, as part of a technology-enabled care program that might be focused on a particular disease state, diabetes being a common one, but we're also seeing innovations emerge in the realm of kidney care, digestive disease programs that are really, really looking at the social factors that surround these populations as part of an overall technology enabled care plan.
0: Well, it seems that the increased number of players and stakeholders that are emerging in the field doesn't look to be slowing down. Uh, So let's shift over to the investment side. And from your perspective, how has investment activity evolved in the recent years? And where do you see that going in the future?
1: That's a great question. And I can answer sort of the first part about it with perhaps some data, but the second I think is a bit anyone's guess other than I can say that I would expect it to continue to increase. So In terms of, if we look at the top funded value propositions within digital health in general, Rock Health and others capture this data, you see number one tends to be research and development as a key area. But the second, third, and second through sixth value propositions all have SDOH Influences. So on demand healthcare, which would encompass a number of business models that would cater to virtual care for certain at-risk or target populations, non-clinical workflow solutions, technology-enabled wellness and chronic disease management platforms that would embody some of those non-clinical factors that would go into treating target patient populations. These are the top themes and the top magnets of venture capital. So while investing in, quote, SDOH for SDOH's sake, I think has sort of fallen out of favor, it does appear that we've reached a point of maturity in the kind of healthcare IT landscape where SDOH is being woven in as an inextricable part of the value propositions of most companies. And saying that a company has an SDOH or a health equity strategy is kind of table stakes for arriving with a go-to-market plan that entails meaningful penetration.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So what are some of the considerations that health systems need to weigh in on as they think about partnering with some of these new entrants or even possibly investing in them?
1: Certainly, I would say that at a high level, I think that the premise of health systems partnering with a third party, a startup or a venture-backed company to operationalize health equity or social determinants of health programs is a good idea. In terms of the considerations, I think that the the staying power of any individual company is a very important consideration. We are in a market of seemingly limitless and endlessly abundant venture capital that's accessible to a startup. And that is a positive thing if you are the customer of a startup, but it also creates a set of somewhat perverse incentives. And I think being clear on what the corporate governance of third-party vendor is, who their other reference customers are, cash runway, any data that one can get on the company's financials. I think those are very important considerations for a health system in doing business with a SDOH-related startup. I think another one is the replicability of the model. One thing with regards to SDOH in particular is that what works in one market and in one geography may not be directly transferable to another one. And I think the early stages of the early sort of development of the SDOH market showed a bunch of sort of custom geographically specific projects that would be able to achieve very, very good results in ROI for a health system in one part of the country, but then would have to sort of build a separate product and deployment for a health system with, you know, different pair dynamics and different sets of social services in another market. And so I think the positive news is that we've now seen sort of the emergence of repeatable models in the health equity and SDOH sector, but being sort of really focused on the extent to which your specific health system deployment will be unique for the company you're working with, or whether there are parallels to what they've been able to achieve with like-sized or like-minded peer institutions, I think is a very, very important
0: consideration. That is a promising outlook, and there's certainly more to come. So Ezra, I'd like to thank you so much for joining the conversation today. It's certainly been fascinating to hear your perspective and your advice. So if folks are interested in hearing more from you or from HEP, what's the best way that they can reach out to you?
1: First of all, thank you again for featuring me. I really enjoyed the discussion. This is a topic of tremendous importance. I would probably put forth that we think this will be the industry-defining topic across the next 10 years, as it's been across the previous five. You could reach out to me via email. I'd be delighted to chat with anyone that's interested. My email address is emehlman at H-E-P-F-U-N-D And please don't hesitate to reach out.
0: As always, thank you for listening to this episode of the Venture Sprout podcast with HEP managing partner Ezra Millman. I'm Crystal Mullis, and we'll catch you next time.